luck is where opportunity meets preparedness. You can take things personally, right? When you're not selected for a pitch competition or an application or a grant or something like that. You'd be like, but I've got this brilliant idea. Why aren't you invested as much in this as I am? I look at it now more as there's gonna be opportunities that come to us where we will meet people who will see the same vision that we do. And it is our responsibility to be prepared for those opportunities by creating a vision, essentially. That's Eric Schnell, founder and CEO of Crater. Crater is committed to bolstering the supply chain for the Department of Defense. With their 3D printing system designed in collaboration with the U.S. Marine Corps, Crater can manufacture military-grade parts from advanced high-temperature plastics, composites, and flexibles anywhere they're needed. In this episode, we talk about putting warfighters first, the ability to control stress, and what happens when opportunity meets preparedness. I'm Maureen Taylor, and this is Think Like a Founder. So Eric, you always have wanted to be an inventor ever since you were a little kid. How did that start and where did it start from? I guess from the day I got my first Lego set all the way to pulling apart remote controls, maybe not always getting them back together and trying to fix stuff and kind of have fun with the world around me. And then what did you do with it? I mean, did your parents notice or siblings notice that you were doing something out of the ordinary? I would say that my parents helped enable it. We'd play with various items. We'd make stuff. I was a little bit of a perfectionist, so I'd make stuff to the instructions. Then my brother would come along and change it up. And of course, as anyone interacts with their younger siblings, they're (laughs) frustrated by that. But it did definitely kind of, I guess, lead to today in some way or form. How did that lead to becoming a founder? Well, it's been a kind of a long road Um, and honestly, a little bit by accident at some points. When I, when I started at college, I didn't start with exactly the intention of I'm going to graduate and become a founder, right? That wasn't my mission. I went in to do engineering. And wherever that took me, I just wanted to make cool stuff and help develop the future. And eventually, when the opportunity arose for me to actually start my own thing, I jumped at it. What happened that made you go, aha, that is something I'm going to pull out and focus on? We first started as a team of essentially student researchers, student engineers out of UC San Diego. And where we initially started on this project was we were working on 3D printers on the side, kind of more for fun, creating new unique desktop printers, just kind of for ourselves. And that got the attention of a recently retired Marine who knew that the Marine Corps was attempting to implement 3D printing into their supply chain to help produce a more distributed force. So what we did was we actually went over to Camp Pendleton, which is just 45 minutes north of the campus. And we helped them for a few months, kind of operating in this in-between space as experts in the technology, guiding from helping them reverse engineer, identify technologies that could work for their application and modify these technologies. But 3D printers are delicate. 
they're not meant to operate in expeditionary environments. So we kind of figured maybe we could actually do something to solve that. And that was the point where we spun off and created an actual company with the team that we were operating there on to produce an expeditionary 3D printer, essentially a system built from the ground up to meet the needs of the Marines and really all of our warfighters and beyond. The technology we're developing is actually dual use. So the goal is that we're kind of testing, legitimizing and building out this capability within the Marine Corps and the other services, because that's where it's needed the most right now. But we look to actually move it into other commercial and industrial markets so that we can serve more expeditionary industries like oil, gas, mining, but also disaster relief, construction, transportation, and even medical applications in the field or in developing nations. Can you give a brief description? Because it's quite compelling. Absolutely. So where we're at right now is we've got what we call an expeditionary 3D printer that can deploy in any environment our warfighters may find themselves in and print mission critical components where and when they're needed. So we are able to produce high temperature parts. So we're able to use ultra polymers like Ultem that are comparable to many metals. We're able to use composites and a lot of these materials enable us to print these truly mission critical necessary parts where they're needed in environment. So we're able to not only transport 3D printing capability on site, but support long-term manufacturing efforts, no matter where it might be. This system is essentially our first deployment of a manufacturing capability, but we view this as an ecosystem of different capabilities that can support a distributed supply chain, a decentralized manufacturing capability that can really support not just our warfighters, but many industries across the world. So that means if I were in a village somewhere and we needed something to do with getting water somewhere, there's something that I might be able to do right there, not dependent on anybody and any other place to solve that problem. And it has been deployed in that capacity, not our system, but we have worked with a few NGOs that help support developing villages in certain areas. And one of the big issues when you hear about these stories of groups going in and building a well, for example, in an area or establishing some kind of capability that helps support the quality of life in the area. One of the big issues of those systems is maintenance over long term. And if you aren't sending people back out there to do that maintenance or you aren't sending regular parts, then it doesn't really matter in the end because it breaks down within a few months and then they don't have that capability anymore. But by putting a manufacturing capability on site, you enable them to kind of control their own future, to be able to train the people on site to be able to leverage it. That is so cool. Your parents must be very proud of you. <laughs> From what they understand, I'm sure. <laughs> yeah, that, is, that is really cool. So how many people in your business? Currently, we're a team of five, though we are supported by a few other partner companies. So we're taking it one step at a time, but we're also always looking for opportunities to grow our team with people who are share the same vision or have a potential to help deploy that vision, create that vision. But culture, especially at this stage, when we're so small, is the number one consideration for someone who's going to participate in our vision. Because when it comes down to it, I'm sorry, I'm not interested in working with people who don't view our customer, the warfighter, our operator, as being the most important person at the end of the day. And that's just kind of how it has to be. 
And what do you want to do with it? You want it to grow and stay independent and be at the core of solving the planet's problems? Being independent allows us to kind of guide the direction we want to see in this, but that doesn't mean that we also don't plan to work with others. So we have multiple partners on deploying this ecosystem because I don't need to reinvent the wheel here. And sure, I could probably go off and make my own industrial scale large 3D printer, but I don't need to. And in fact, our efforts are probably better spent elsewhere. But if I can develop the relationship with those companies and then work to deploy those capabilities along ours and make sure that they play nice with each other, then the operator at the end of the day has faster time to actually using the technology, easier training, and more capability deployed in the field. Now, as you build your company, what kind of culture are you looking at having as the foundation of your company? One of the things that we live by within Greater and look for in our partners is that we're warfighter first. We started as these technical advisors and we developed a company only because we saw the need. So that's kind of been our route since the beginning. And when I say warfighter first, that has the connotation, right, of the DOD. But really, it's bigger than that. It's more focused on our operators. Who's going to be using this in the field? What capability we're bringing to them? Does this make sense? It could be the coolest platform that does all this incredible stuff. But if somebody doesn't know how to use it, does that matter? And really, there's no more difficult environment to be able to do that than a war zone, right? I can't expect an operator, even if they're expertly trained on our system, to be able to keep an eye on it at all times when they've got a hundred other things to do and people are shooting at them. So these are part of our considerations when it goes into the design, development, and deployment of our capabilities. And it's really the core of our culture. When you were a little kid, when you first got the Legos, did you ever think that this is where you would be? Not at all. Five-year-old Eric did not see 26-year-old Eric working in this, <laughs> where he is today. Do you come from a family of military? Yes. Many of my family have served, whether it be in the United States. My mother's family has a, a lot of background in the UK in kind of RAF and a lot of the forces over there. So I grew up a bit around it. Did you ever consider enlisting yourself? I actually did. When I was in middle school, sorry, high school, I began the application process to go to either the Naval Academy in West Point. Went through the applications, was on the way to securing the required congressional nominations. And my sophomore year of high school, I was diagnosed with psoriasis, an autoimmune disorder that is an automatic disqualification for any form of service. That kind of ax those plans. I didn't quite give up. When I turned 18, I did see if I could do the reserves while going to college, but did not work out that way. So I guess where I'm at today may have been kind of inevitable. Creating this company, I guess, and creating technologies that help support our warfighter is my own way of trying to help serve or at least help those that serve. Do you get impacted by stress? For me on the day-to-day -day basis, I would say that there's the kind that is operational. There's the stress of like, go, go, go. And I was an athlete, played water polo for about 10 years or so. And I would kind of align that more to that kind of stress. You're in a game, you're going, 
but you've got all these people beside you, you're playing your part, you're taking your role and you're executing on it. And sometimes you don't always execute best. It's the exact same in the professional world, but it's kind of, it's fuel almost. You do need to take a break sometimes because like any other kind of stress, it'll kill you if you don't treat it with respect. But there's a whole another side of stress that wears you out so much faster. It doesn't feel like productive stress. It's going towards anything. And for me, that happens if emotional stuff is going on, you've got family issues, or if you've got some kind of external factor that you can't control. And I think that that is the difference. It's your ability to control the factor that is causing the stress, at least for me. Well, to have that identification, it is so good because you can do something about it. Okay. So I was talking to the team and mentorship is something very important to you to be a mentor and to mentor. Is that correct? Absolutely. When it comes to mentorship, I would absolutely not be where I am at today without those around me who've guided me all the way from peers friends who have helped support me, to people who have just been kind of a little bit ahead of me, to people who are very experienced, both in research and engineering, in entrepreneurship and company development. But really, mentorship is so broad for me. It can be so many different terms. And I would say that the first part of creating our company, those first couple of years, was just learning what a company is, because it's so much more than what you'd see on the news, right? And I only learned that when I started to try and make it happen. Yeah, the hype around it or what you get from the outside is very different from the inside. And then you too are a mentor. Absolutely. And I would say that I've learned as much from mentoring others than I have from mentors I've received. One of my longtime mentors who really had a lot of impact on who I am today and my company, his name was George Eiskamp. He actually passed away last year. And one day he helped me figure out something very complicated and we succeeded. And I was thanking him. I was being very grateful for what he had done to help me. And he said that he is a firm believer that if he isn't getting as much out of it as he is giving into it, as a mentor, then he's wasting his time. And that while he appreciates my gratitude for helping it, that he is also grateful for the amount that he has learned from working for me. And that really kind of changed my, my focus there because being able to share what we've done in the past also opens the door to dialogue for me to learn what others are doing. So peer mentorship, while a mentor typically has the context of someone who's been there, done that kind of kind of educating the next generation. It doesn't have to be. It can be just two people with very different backgrounds sharing, here's how I did it, here's how I did it, and then seeing if you can find something out of that that when you go away from that conversation, you can learn and execute on. And I mean, a good leader that will last is the leader who stays a student. Obviously, the benefit is keeping your mind active, but that curiosity of that reciprocal, that George was very smart, right? Because the one thing that happens when you get old is you think that your experience is the truth. It's not. It's only your experience. In the long run, no matter what we come up with today, 
the people who are actually going to be following, right, are the ones who are actually going to be taking whatever you built, whatever you created, whatever impact you had. When you're gone, it's going to be the next people who are going to actually execute on that. And whether they take your tidbit there exactly, or whether they use it as a background to build their own experience and then pass on their knowledge, it can take so many different forms. What's the best advice you ever got? Luck is where opportunity meets preparedness. You can take things personally, right? When you're not selected for a pitch competition or an application or a grant or something like that. I look at it now more as there's going to be opportunities that come to us where we will meet people who will see the same vision that we do. And it is our responsibility to be prepared for those opportunities by creating a vision, essentially. Only then are we going to be able to have success and then bring on other people and investment and different partners. It's going to be more than just finding the right partner. It's going to be showing the right partner that we're the right one to work with. So this kid happened to turn on a computer and this was blabbing out. And he's got this itch. If you were to give him or her advice, what would it be? I would say it's okay to not have all the answers to what you want to do. It's okay to just kind of have a little bit of a guidepost of where you want to go. Everything else will come in time. And as you work in the direction that you want to go, you will find out that maybe that direction takes a little bit of a left turn. And so long as you don't beat yourself up at the very start of the journey with not having everything you need in your pocket to go, then you can, you can get there. And you've got to be able to be open to the world around you because there are people out there that want to help you. And what your goal is, is to kind of start that journey and find those people find those resources, find that knowledge you need, and find where you're going one step at a time. That was Eric Schnell, founder and CEO of Crater. Crater's 3D printing system allows the U.S. Armed Forces to manufacture mission-critical parts anywhere and anytime they're needed. They are expeditionary 3D printing fills in supply chain gaps to enhance capabilities in the field. You can learn more at crater.com. I'm Maureen Taylor. Thanks for listening. Series producer is Mike Sullivan. Sound design by Mark Ream. Content and scripting by Jacelyn Drown and Catherine Hardy. Production coordinator is Natasha Thomas. Thanks also to Selena Persiani-Shell, John Hughes, and Ren Barrett.